0: In the 1990s, my high school English teacher gave everyone an assignment. It was to design the cover of Time magazine with yourself on the front, and then to write the feature story that explained what you had done to land yourself on the front of such a prestigious publication. My story was totally ambitious and totally me in high school. I featured myself on the cover of Time for becoming the first American and female CEO of Toshiba Enterprises. The feature story explained how I learned Japanese in just like six or seven months and how my business acumen and excellent taste in shoulder padded blazers had helped me climb the ranks of the male dominated Japanese electronics giant. And that goal to be a kick-ass businesswoman even carried itself over into college. I actually started out as a business major only to abandon that about two years later in pursuit of an english literature degree but still when i think back about that time cover story the fact that i ever wrote it ever envisioned myself in that way is pretty remarkable and that's because my experience of being raised in the worldwide church of god actually taught me for years to aspire to be the antithesis of the woman that I created for that assignment. From 13 Media, I'm Trisha Jenkins, and this is Worldwide, the Unchosen Church.
1: This church is heavily into patriarchal
2: norms. I was raised to be a submissive, compliant housewife.
1: The husband is supposed to be the spiritual head of the family. And my spiritual head of the family didn't exist.
3: The highest goal for girls was to be a pastor's wife. So growing up as a woman, it didn't seem like there was anything for me to aspire
2: to in the church. There were no goals. I was so desperately afraid of my own sexuality. When I had my first kiss, I literally had a panic attack.
0: Today's episode is going to talk about gender, and I'm going to introduce you to the three women whose voices you just heard. What I wanted to figure out in our conversation is how gender intersected with their experience in the worldwide Church of God and really the ways that gender continues to function in a lot of conservative religious groups today. And I wish that every pastor, every rabbi, every father, every husband could listen to this episode because these women have some really important things to say about what churches do to women and girls, their sense of sexuality, their goals, their intellectual curiosity, what they bring to a marriage and how welcome and included they feel and often don't feel within religious organizations. So today I'm gonna start by introducing you to Heather. She grew up as the daughter of a WCG minister who later became a minister in the United Church of God. She says that being a preacher's kid coupled with her own unique family dynamics led her to grow up believing that her primary role was to be an obedient and supportive good girl. And as a result, she said that this environment actually ended up stifling both her own and her mother's sense of curiosity and critical thought.
2: The attitude at home was that my father's decrees were law. And then of course my mom was the the, the enforcer of this. And so when you think about that the message of the church was the submissive wife and the husband is the leader of the family, but my dad's not only the leader of the family, but he's also the leader of the church. It was expected that we would hop to, for lack of a better term, to whatever my dad said. And my mom was absolutely the enforcer of that. One example I can give to you that may not sound related, but is related to me is I was 14 or 15. I did have a bit of a smart mouth, not compared to most kids, but for my family, again, I'm not allowed to joke with my dad because that's disrespectful. So one time, I guess I popped off because I was grumpy. My dad absolutely lost his crap. And it's right before I'm supposed to go to school. He gets so angry. And again, I'm 14. I think he basically Starts trying to bend me over his knee to spank me, and in the process, tears my favorite shorts up the backside so my butt is hanging out. And my mom, instead of realizing, Oh, hey, my husband's a little bit out of control, a little too angry, she rushes down to go close the front door so the neighbors don't see. To me, that was. The, the perfect embodiment of my dad is the leader of the church and he is a leader of this family. So, thus, we must do what he says. And when you have that environment of the wife is just doing everything that her husband orders to do, there is no room for critical thinking. There's no room for questioning there. So, me not being raised to be a critical thinker is really, really entwined with not only the church and what was preached at church, but how my dad and my family insisted on practicing that.
0: Heather says that growing up, she also watched her own mother stifle her sense of autonomy and curiosity in order to fit into this gendered system. Even though that system gave her a lot of comfort, given her background.
2: My mother, had a pretty traumatic childhood with an alcoholic mother, and well, she met my dad at a at a young age, and you know he was already a, a church leader. And I really do feel that to escape her pain, to make life bearable, to have answers, she really threw herself headlong into being his wife and helping him lead the church. And so I also think that my mom. You know she does think about the world she is a curious person but because she subscribed to a very rigid and black and white way of thinking through this church and my dad it's almost like she shuttered that part of her off and again she was young when she met my dad she was 20 so she wasn't even fully formed as a person yet so when i think about the example that i had to look up to my mom despite having A curiosity I still see to this day, she decided to stifle that part of her. That was her answer towards leaving a life that was really traumatic for her as a child. And so she thus bestowed that upon us as children.
0: This is Lisa. She also grew up in the Worldwide Church of God in the American Midwest. And she echoes a lot of what Heather says about growing up in the church. How at the height of the 80s, when TV shows about women bringing home the bacon, like Murphy Brown or Who's the Boss, were topping the Nielsens, the church was actually encouraging girls to embrace the opposite.
3: Being a girl growing up in the church, it was usually expected that a married couple would have a very traditional way of arranging their family. So the man would work, be the breadwinner, the woman would stay home, take care of the kids, take care of the house and all that. So even when I was in my bachelor's degree, I never really expected to use any of that education in a career type way. I I went to school for psychology and my goal was to be a counselor But then when I thought, okay, well, I've got to do my master's and then I have to do all the supervised counseling hours in order to get licensed, I knew that by the time I was going to be graduating from my master's degree and starting in that licensure process, I would already be having kids and I wouldn't be working anyway. And so it really made me very unambitious in not only my academic studies, but in any of the the jobs that I had leading up to when I had kids, which I think really, you know, stunted my growth as an adult person, stunted my ability to contribute financially to the family. And then it also really puts a very hard and large burden on, on the husband, on the man in the, in the family, because all the, the financial solvency of the family is all on his shoulders, and I don't think that that is a particularly healthy way to live. Lisa also says that when she first got
0: married, because she's more of a submissive or a passive person by nature, that she didn't think subscribing to traditional gender expectations were really going to pose a problem in her relationship.
3: But she was wrong. According to our church, the wife is the submitted partner. So unless the husband is telling her to do something morally wrong, she has to do what he says. And so I grew up knowing that that was going to be my role. I personally am a fairly passive person, so that didn't seem like it was going to be hard for me. But when I got married, that very quickly became A very difficult part of our marriage I was his personal assistant whatever it was that he asked me to do whether that was bring his wallet to him if he forgot it at home or if it was to instill rules on the kids that I didn't think were necessary but he did it also meant that I had to have the home clean and neat and tidy and make it look like the kids didn't live there with no help so weekends, I was still on 24-hour home and kid duty, and he got to have a break from his job, right? And a complicating factor in that was that at the time I had undiagnosed ADHD. So my executive function didn't do a great job of, of helping me keep up with all of the household duties and all the other tasks that I was given by him. And so those traditional roles as we grew older, were a big source of conflict for us. I wanted to have the household responsibilities shared, especially when I started working full-time again. And that was not something that he wanted to do. As I was older, it became a bigger and bigger issue for me when I started learning about what a partnership-type marriage could really looked like and that was something that he would give lip service to but in action and in fights <laughs> would not accept that really was a fairly large contributing factor to the end of of the marriage and the end of the relationship this idea of having assigned roles because of your gender in marriage i think is one of the most insidiously damaging things for a relationship because it does not account for strengths, weaknesses, needs, abilities, or anything like that. And I think it contributes a lot to the demise of marriages, both on the, the husband side and the wife side. I think so many women can
0: relate to what Lisa just said but I can also hear some people in my mind objecting, saying, yeah, I get it, but these are like stories of people who were raised in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and surely now that we've had a third wave feminist movement or the Me Too movement, or that women go to college in droves, that even in a splinter group, which may have retained a lot of Armstrong's teachings, would today in 2021, 2022, be way more based in gender equality introduce you to Dawn. So Dawn continued to attend the United Church of God and then later the Church of God Worldwide Associated or CAGWA until just last year. She says that the church is still governed by patriarchal ideas and it's actually one of the major reasons that she finally decided to leave the church in her mid-40s. Part of it for Dawn was that her spouse, even though he was born and raised in the WCG, was never really invested in the church. Whereas Dawn's whole social and family community was still very much embedded in it. Which means that Dawn still wanted to attend the church with her children, even though her spouse was no longer interested.
1: One of the things that I noticed as a female whose husband rarely came to church is even in the seating arrangements, there's a way to sit. Men are on the aisle and then it's the female, the wife, and then it's the children. Until I started going to church and I was the one bringing the children, then I sat on the aisle. And let me tell you, I am the only female sitting on the aisle. (laughs) You know, men are running the show. So it's the, the men are doing the prayers beforehand. They are leading songs. They do the, the speaking. They have a sermon, which is a longer portion of the service, and then a sermonette, which is at the beginning, which is about 20 minutes. But if there are women, they are the piano players. And there is no female that is involved in any of the speaking. Women do often the religious education programs for the school age children. But that usually ends at high school. And if there is a teen group, men are normally running that group unless they're running it with their wives. But you will not see a female by herself running a teen program. I found that interesting as an educator. I found that interesting. And I've had conversations with a minister's wife and was asking about, you know, there's so many wonderful women in our congregation that have years of lived experiences that have amazing knowledge and have such deep faith and are really great examples of all of us, not just women, but just as people, you know, can, can be, why aren't, why aren't women allowed to get up and speak and do a sermon at, or give a prayer for crying out loud? You know, like, what's the big deal? Who cares? And was told <laughs> that, that essentially women are not capable of, of communicating those kinds of messages in a way that is receptive to audience, which made me obviously want to gag and just, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh honey, but you're like, you're a minister's wife. Like, you know, that's not true. And it was just the, the response that I got was just a really sort of canned answer that was not convincing to me at all. And it just, it kind of made me mad. And then as soon as I started to argue the point, The minister came over and basically ran defense for his wife and basically shut the conversation down. And I knew that I was in trouble. Uh,
0: (laughs) Dawn also says that she found it super frustrating that her own minister didn't really seem to know what to do with an educated feminist in his congregation. And as a result, he just kind of avoided her.
1: This minister never talked to me. Literally would never talk to me. I'm like, you get paid to shepherd your congregation, to talk to every single person in here, make sure everybody's okay, they've got what they need. Like, he would <laughs> go out of his way not to talk to me or address me. I think number one, it's because I was the adult child of a person who was a longtime member. So I was like the kid. I am in my forties. Like I am not a kid. I'm an adult with adult responsibilities. And I too have a, you know, a spiritual life that needs to be tended to. And the other thing I think was because I was a woman without a husband. The husband is supposed to be the spiritual head of the family. And my spiritual head of the family didn't exist. That was going to be me. And that just, I like, I, I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> but, yeah. but when my husband would show up for holy days or special occasions or whatever. Oh, wow. Well, oh, let's all talk to my husband. You know, they're all crawling out of the woodwork to go and talk to him. And I'm like, I am here every week. Why isn't anybody talking to me? And it just, it was very frustrating to feel like I was okay. completely invisible. It's like a hundred people. And that's including children. It's a pretty small congregation, but I just sort of had a a reputation for being a bit of a feminist. And I don't think that that endeared me at all to, to leadership, so to speak. So that was continually frustrating. The church's stance on sexuality was pretty conservative,
0: too. Sex before marriage was seen as a major sin. Masturbation, forbidden. Lisa's parents even told her that handholding was considered fornication. And we all received the message that lustful thoughts were as sinful as lustful actions. The church's attitudes on sex affected each of these women's lives in different ways. For example, Lisa's whole birth story centers around the fact that her birth mom, who eventually offered her up for adoption, essentially had to give her up and hide her pregnancy out of shame. That eventually caused her whole birth mother's family to abandon the church because they couldn't figure out why God had punished them so badly.
3: So my parents had been trying for a long time to have a baby. So after a while, they started applying to adoption agencies, and they had a really hard time because back in the 70s, most of the adoption agencies were religious. And once they found out that they were in the church they weren't acceptable candidates for being parents anymore because those agencies did not want to put the the children into a home of a cult member. So eventually some friends of theirs that were pastors found out through the pastor grapevine about a girl in Florida, a young girl, she was fifteen, I think who was pregnant and and her parents wanted the baby to be adopted inside the church. So that pastor and his wife said, Hey, looks like maybe there's somebody you can adopt. And, and kind of it went from there. It was a private adopt- adoption all through lawyers, no agencies involved. Um, but the the girl and her family were in Florida. And once her parents found out she was pregnant, she ended up being moved to I think it was like the pastor's wife's sister's house or something like that, but from Florida up to New Jersey. And so she stayed in New Jersey the entire time that she was pregnant. And she had to stay in New Jersey until she lost all the baby weight till she looked, uh, quote normal again. And that's when she was able to go back home. From what I hear, I've talked to a few people who knew the family and things like that. I've never met her. It wasn't too long after she got back that the family actually stopped going to the church. And the reason why was if this was God's true church, and if they were doing all the correct things of the Sabbath and not eating pork and all of the stuff, then why would God allow this terrible thing to happen to their family? So I am personally very happy and very appreciative that she went through the, with the adoption. I think being in that family for me would have destroyed my self esteem, my personality, and all of the things. You know, being in a family where I was a tragedy. Lisa
0: says that she's very thankful to have been adopted and that her parents have been amazing. But she also says that when she thinks about her story, she feels really bad for her birth mother because of all of the shame and the humiliation and the hardship that she had to go through just because she made a quote unquote mistake by having sex without protection when she was a teenager. Heather says that the church's sexual attitudes have also played a big role in her life. And in some ways, they've had some really negative effects that have continued to stay with her in her adult relationships.
2: So when it comes to how sexuality, particularly as a female, was described and prescribed in our church, um, you know, obviously, no premarital sex until you are married. Um, Do not tempt your brother, so make sure that you are dressing appropriately. Some of the specific details that I was offered from my parents as... I was growing up as, you know, you should not kiss anyone until you're engaged. And when you are engaged, you only kiss. And then when you get married to a man of God in the true church, then you are supposed to magically be able to know how to have a sexual relationship because God will make it possible for you to have this really, really wonderful, lovely thing because it's being done within the confines of marriage and you are sharing your gift. The most intimate part of you is your gift to your husband. Now, my parents actually sat us down when we were young, my brother and I, and actually showed us the mechanics of it. Like we got drawings of the female and male anatomy. We got drawings of how sex works and then how the woman becomes pregnant. However, they never covered the rest of it. What about Hormones and attraction how um, you can get into relationships that aren't good for you and Staying faithful Uh, if you want to be in a monogamous relationship you hear no talk about boundaries Consent how to keep yourself healthy physically how to keep yourself healthy mentally and emotionally Uh, what does relationship abuse look like and so I had this idea of all these things you couldn't do before you were married, but when you were married, all of a sudden it was supposed to be a beautiful gift that you gave each other. And it really wasn't a problem for me until this incredibly defining moment.
0: When Heather was 13, somebody touched her in a way that felt sexual and felt wrong. As a result, she walked around feeling incredibly traumatized by the experience. But she didn't tell anyone, and she held on to it for a really long time, until she finally told her parents.
2: You know, to their credit, they, they listened to me. I don't think they knew what to do with it. Um, they basically told me, don't worry, we'll protect you and then after that it was literally all swept under the rug, never spoken about, never really acknowledged ever again. And you know, I think what I heard in that is that not only was there no one there to help me process what I felt had just happened to me, but it also wasn't okay to voice when I felt that something inappropriate had been done to me. And, you know, with adult eyes, after much therapy, what happened when I was 13 was something that, yes, made me feel uncomfortable, but there was no malice. There was nothing dangerous or evil about it. But I had to do that work on my own.
0: When Heather eventually engaged in therapy, she also realized that part of the work of undoing the damage of the Worldwide Church of God was getting herself to try to disassociate sex from guilt and shame and sin and dirtiness, or from the idea that sex had to be feared or
2: repressed or constantly controlled. Sure, I had crushes on boys, but I never dated anyone, not in high school, and really not even until late college because I was so desperately afraid of my own sexuality. When I had my first kiss, I literally had a panic attack. And you know, kudos to the guy who who was my first kiss because he didn't freak out, but I had a literal panic attack and I didn't understand why. And I really do feel after a couple of decades of work that this extreme, association of negativity with sexuality has permanently marked me and that you know if i really sit and i think about it makes me real sad um because i i don't know if i will ever be able to fully redefine myself but because of that or in spite of that one thing that i have made sure to do this is one of the things i was incredibly passionate about before my children were even you know at any stage of thinking about themselves or acting as a sexual person. Um, we have had very frank conversations about boundaries. We have talked about consent. We have talked about emotional, mental, and physical health as a sexual person. We have talked about what is normal for you and your sexuality may not be normal for the other person, and that is okay. That is your job to, to be respectful of. I mean, we've talked about it all. And I would be lying if I said these conversations were easy. It's it's, it's hard. Um, And I'm not always sure that I'm doing it right. But I feel with quite a bit of confidence that my two children are certainly much more prepared than I ever was. And I'm, I'm really, really proud of that.
0: So the final thing that I'd like listeners to consider especially if they are in church leadership, is the ways that churches are set up to welcome people who are on the margins, who maybe don't identify as straight or are not part of a traditional nuclear family or who see the world a little less black and white and in a lot more gray.
1: I, I've never been like fully like on board with the belief system, which has always been sort of the problem of my, attending because as a female that is not sold on patriarchal norms this church is heavily into patriarchal norms and that has always from the get go has been kind of an issue with me and my husband really didn't attend and so I was the one attending taking the kids and that's a tough place to be in when you're a married woman Without a husband at church, (laughs) the husband is supposed to be the spiritual head of the family. And my spiritual head of the family didn't exist. So, and then (laughs) my favorite conversation was with the minister's wife when I attended United, who was trying to be sweet and she was trying to be supportive. But what she told me was that, you know, she really... Had a lot of empathy for me and really felt for me and because of my situation, which was the fact that my husband wasn't attending church and I was like doing it alone, and that I was a spiritual widow. <laughs> and I smiled because I knew what she meant. And she meant that I was going it alone and that I my husband wasn't there to be part of this like spiritual dynamic team. But the widow part, I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like my husband isn't dead. He's just at home watching college football. Like (laughs) probably taking a nap and enjoying his Saturday afternoon by himself. (laughs) But that phrase is not an uncommon phrase Mm. for a woman whose husband does not attend, which is just, again, one of those patriarchal terms that makes me want to vomit when I hear it. Because to me, it's offensive. I'm not a spiritual widow. I'm a woman on my own spiritual quest that doesn't mean I have to have my husband you know with me doing the thing it'd be great I mean sure like who doesn't want their spouse joining them in church but if they're not there that's that's not for me to give them crap about that's their own journey that's not my journey and I'm not gonna like make him feel bad about that like whatever I am gonna make him feel bad for making me like take two kids by myself for a few hours (laughs) but but that's a separate issue (laughs)
0: Dawn says that today her kids, who are now in their teens, have stopped going to church. While she had hoped that they would have the same positive social experiences that she had growing up, the United Church of God and Kagwa, and really the times, have
1: just changed. I wanted my kids to have a similar experience like what I had, but the congregations are not as big, there aren't as many kids, and a lot of you know, not all, but a lot of kids, they don't buy into it. You know, they don't buy into the, the same belief system that their parents do. And so there isn't quite that same lockstep that I think we had as, as kids. So the world's a little different uh, maybe than it was when we were kids and the church has, has not open themselves up to that difference and as a result I think you you just you lose a lot of people like me that see more gray in the world and see life a little differently and my oldest when she's old enough to like listen and pay attention to the messages then she's like what why do why is this the belief what I, this I don't understand why does you know why do we feel this way why is this the teaching I don't agree with this why do we still go here I don't believe this about myself or I don't believe this about other people why do we go here So then it's like, oh, you know, then there's all kinds of like conversations to have about the very, you know, narrow perspective of the teachings about sexuality and about everything essentially about women and about all kinds of, you know, the, the traditions and the norms and how people are perceived and what's right and what's wrong. And there's, you know, there's no, there's no gray area. It's very black and white. And if you buy into the black and white, then you're fine, you're great, you're good to go. But if you don't, or if your own personal experience is different, then you're, you're sort of out there by yourself. And that's not always a great place to be.
0: I am so grateful to Dawn and to Lisa and to Heather for sharing their stories with me on this podcast. But again, if I'm going to be honest, I have to admit that my experience in the church was actually a little bit different. I heard all of these same messages and I know that everything they have shared and said and experienced is true and it's valid and it resonates with so many women across the WCG and religious organizations more broadly. It's just that my experience as a female in the church was a little bit different. And after listening to them, I really tried to figure out why. And I think it comes down to three things. One is that I just naturally have a strong personality I have never been a submissive type and I actually got in trouble a lot in the church for challenging authority. And so I think by nature, I was just never gonna accept the church's idea that a woman had to be submissive simply because she was a woman. The second thing is that I am the granddaughter of someone who is illiterate. My mom's father literally signed papers with an X. And neither my mom nor any of her siblings graduated from college. In fact, some of them didn't even graduate from high school. And so my mom went against the grain of the church and encouraged me from a very young age to get my education because she saw firsthand what can happen when you don't have one. So for me, it was always a question of where and not if I would attend university. And that encouragement and the idea that girls should be college educated, that they should have career aspirations and to be able to financially stand on their own two feet was something that eventually led me to pursue not only a master's degree, but a PhD and to become a professor. And I'm sure that my mom's emphasis on education had everything to do with why I put myself on the cover of Time Magazine as a CEO of Toshiba Enterprises. And the last thing that I'll point out is that I had some pretty cool women in my life who were also a part of the church, including my mom and her best friend, Candy. To this day, my mom and Candy are firecrackers. They're funny. They love margaritas. They laugh at each other's and their own jokes. And what I remember about Candy in particular is her saying that she thought sex was awesome. She never understood why people from the pulpit suggested that sex was dirty or something to be avoided or repressed. She thought that sex was kind of beautiful and wonderful and amazing. And while I was so mortified to be a teenager in the room when all of these things were being discussed, I think somehow her message stuck, and I didn't walk away from the church with the same negative associations about sex. And so to end this episode, I just want to raise a digital margarita to Candy and to my mom, to Dawn and Lisa and Heather, and all of the other women out there who chased their dreams and fought for the types of relationships and identities that they wanted, despite the more conservative and narrow expectations that were set for them from the pulpit of the Worldwide Church of God. Next up on Worldwide, The Unchosen Church.
1: I was a well-meaning, you know, conflicted gay teenager joining an apocalyptic Christian cult and I thought, well, is it possible to un-gay myself? I got, I think, so many psychological needs met by joining the Worldwide Church of God. And then of course, when we got to Ambassador University, what was the phrase? This is God's college, like it's the college God went to. No, it was the one institution of higher learning that the creator of the universe gave his seal of approval to. So how great is that to go to that one place? Had those things not happened, I'd probably still be a miserable, conflicted homosexual in a cult. I want to try to be very sensitive to the fact that other people did not have this great experience. But even when it was bad or domineering, nonetheless, they worked for me at the time. And I'm grateful.
0: We hope you'll join us next week on Wednesday for this interview with DJ Grothy. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are made available. I'd also like to extend a very special thank you today to Lisa metzel Bonet, Dawn and Heather for taking the time to talk with me. Worldwide, The Unchosen Church is written, produced, and hosted by me, Trisha Jenkins. Music used in this episode was licensed by Soundstripe. And even while on vacation this week, 13 Media did the editing and sound design for this episode. And for that, I am very grateful. If you would like to send us a question or a comment, please reach out via email at worldwidepod11 at gmail.com or DM us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at worldwidepod and on Twitter and Facebook at worldwidepod11. We also wanted to remind you that new episodes will drop each week on Wednesday and ask that if you find the series interesting or meaningful, that you share it with your friends, families, and followers. You can also like the show on Apple Podcast, where you can leave us a rating and review. Until next week, we hope that all you'll do will prosper well.